Heavenly Father, we ask that you would indeed send the Holy Spirit to us now so that we may not be faithless, but be faithful this morning as we look at your word and obey it together. Lord, we pray that we would be invigorated, quickened by your spirit and go out into the world after gathering for this hour. We would go out all the more faithful to you and all the more ready to testify to the wonderful God that you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue our series this morning in the book of John's Gospel and we're up to chapter 15 where the Lord Jesus has been speaking to his disciples on the night he was betrayed and would go to the cross, uh, that he would go into the and be cap captured and go into the hands of the religious leaders and then of course into the hands of the Romans and be crucified the next day. And so he's giving his disciples some last minute instructions uh, before he leaves them and we see that very much coming through to light in the passage that we just read for us in, in John chapter 15 and he's been speaking about the way that the disciples are to love one another to behave as part of the true vine which is himself he's spoken about being the vine and they are the branches and he's giving them some instructions about how they are to treat one another and now he moves on to how the world will treat them and if you've been a Christian for any length of time you'll see the truth to Christ's words that most Christians have experienced uh, some form of hatred from those outside the church. They've experienced hatred from unbelievers, and that's what the Lord Jesus says in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now, why is it that people hate Christians? Why do unbelievers hate Christians? Well, it's because Christians do not belong to the world. We read in verse 19, after Jesus speaks about the hatred that the world has, he says in verse 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Why does the world hate Christians? It's because Christians do not belong to the world. You'll be saying, but hang on, don't we all belong to the world? Aren't we just one human race and we all belong to the same planet? No, humanity when it's being referenced here, is said to belong to two different, two different kingdoms, uh, have been made very clear throughout Scripture that the humanity is part of two different kingdoms. You've got the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the world, which is the way the word world is being used here. It's used in a number of different ways in the New Testament, the word world, but here it's clearly being used in reference to the kingdom of Satan. And then there's a second kingdom, which is, of course, the true kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. And so we've got this rebellious kingdom and we've got this true kingdom, which is God's kingdom. Now, how did the world come to hate Christians? How did these two kingdoms come about? Well, they came about when Adam, our first parent, fell. When he sinned against God, we, the, the two kingdoms eventuated. Because, of course, at first we were all part of one kingdom under Adam. Adam and Eve, they were part of one kingdom. There was no division between them. But when Adam and Eve sinned against God there was a falling that took place. And so there was a separation. And we see that all the way through Scripture, and you see it in the book of Genesis very early on, that there's these people of God and there's the people of the world, and they fight against one another. And so you've got this kingdom that is following Satan and this kingdom that is following God. Even though lots of people who are not part of the kingdom of God would not acknowledge their true king, who is Satan, they are nevertheless part of his kingdom. But why does the world hate Christians? Why can't we all just get along? We have the kingdom of God, have the kingdom of the world. Why is there this hatred coming from the kingdom of Satan? Well, it's because the kingdom of the world, the world, 
hates the true kings of all things. Who are the true kings? Well, it's the Son and the Father, God the Father and God the Son. And we see that taught to us again and again. Look at me with me at verse 18. The Lord Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Why does the world hate Christians? Well, it's because they hate the true king, who is Jesus. Look with me at verse 20. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, the true king, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And then down to verse 23. He who hates me hates my father as well. The world hates the true king, which is Jesus. And of course, the true king, which is God the Father. They hate them. And why do they hate Christ? Why would they, why would they have no love for the true king? Why can't they just get on and go about their business and not have any problem with Christ Jesus? And then, of course, his followers? Well, it's because Jesus continues to remind them that they are sinners, that they are rebels that they actually are rebels from the true king, which is himself. And we see that in the text as well. In verse 22, what do we read? The Lord Jesus says, If I had not come and spoken to them, that is the world, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. I keep reminding them of their sin. And by coming into the world, they are more and more aware of their sin. And we see that in verse 24 as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Why do they hate the true king? Why does the world hate the true king? It's because they are reminded of their sin. And why is that a problem for them? Why do they hate being reminded that they are sinners, that they are rebels against the true king? It's because they know that all sinners deserve to be punished for their sin. And so instead of begging God for mercy, they try to eliminate God. They try to hate God and push him to one side. They love themselves rather than God. And we see that in verse 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. They love themselves. They love their own. And they love their sin. And so instead of going to God as he reveals to them that they are sinners and rebels and deserve to be punished, instead of going to him and asking for mercy, they try to eliminate him. They try to hate him more and more. Because if we can get rid of God, then we get rid of sin, and then we get rid of punishment. And this is why they hate the citizens of God's kingdom. The citizens of God's kingdom are representatives of the king that reigns over all. And they are here on earth. And they may not consider us to be Hitler, but they consider us to be Nazis who support the Hitler, who they detest. And one of the things that they hate about us as well is that we don't stop talking about this true king. We remind them that there is a true king and that they are rebels, they are sinners, and they deserve to be punished because of their rebellion. But how far does the world go in its hatred towards the true kingdom, the kingdom of God and its citizens. Well, they go as far as murder. We see that in chapter 16, verse 2. Uh, we'll read from verse 1, though. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. 
they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. They will kill members of the true kingdom. And they will actually, at times, say it's a service to the true king. That is how far they will go in their wickedness. They will certify their action of murder by saying that it's actually in support of the true king. Complete hypocrisy on their part. And so Christianity is hated by the world, by the false kingdom, the kingdom of Satan. How could we illustrate this? Well, Christianity is like a threat to national security when a nation experiences a large wave of immigrants. Imagine a nation. You've got a nation, and it has its own culture. Its citizens speak a particular language, they all eat the same food, they wear similar clothing, they have similar work practices from manufacture right down to advertising. They have recreations that are very similar, they all like similar music, they like similar entertainment, and they, of course, have similar family customs. When it comes to marriage, when it comes to family, when it comes to certain celebrations that you do with your family and with your community, they're all very similar. But then imagine you have a large group of migrants come in to that nation. And those migrants do things differently. They have a different language. They have different food tastes. They have different dress codes. They have different work practices. They have a different form of entertainment. Their music is weird. And they have very different family customs. The way they do marriage, the way they do family relationships, and the way they celebrate as families are very different. And not only do the migrants come into that nation and live in their own very different way, but they actually teach the citizens of that nation that they should adopt their customs, their culture. And they make the people of that nation, the citizens, feel that they are doing wrong by living their way, which they've always lived. They should adopt the migrant's way, which is the true way, the best way to live. And so they claim that the citizens of the nation should be living according to their ways because ultimately these migrants come in and say, we really are the true custodians of this land. You are rebels here living in false ways. We are the ones who actually have allegiance to the true custodian, a king who is going to come one day and claim this land. And so you'd better start living our way because we're the ones who are really living the way that we should. And then that nation, as they see these migrants coming in and living this way and saying such things, they actually see some of their own citizens adopting the culture of the migrants. They actually start to detest their, their upbringing and want to live the way of these migrants who have come into the nation. Now, what do you think a nation would do if they have all these immigrants coming in, living in a very different way, and making them feel guilty about the way that they live, and saying that this land is actually belongs to our king, and one day he will return and claim it? What would a nation do? Well, what would you think they should do? Well, we've seen again and again in history that what a nation would do is force the migrants to adopt their culture. How would they do that? Well, they would show a particular love, increasing love to their own, to their culture. They would fund their cultural initiatives. 
Give them grants and teach their ways in the schools more and more. Teach it to the next generation. We fear these migrants teaching. What we'll try and do is even get the migrants' children in our education system, and we will teach them our ways. And, of course, they don't just love their own culture to try and push back against the migrants. They, they hate the culture of the migrants who have come in. They tax their culture more highly. Don't give them grants for their sort of entertainment. We'll tax them more highly. And we'll ban the teaching of these migrants with their new culture. We'll burn their books. We'll close their social media accounts so that they cannot lead people astray, so that we can protect the way that we live as a nation. And if the migrants refuse to comply with this increasing hostility, and the differences are very clear between the two cultures, what happens? Violent persecution. That's what happens. Imprisonment, banishment, you expel the migrants from your community, or even kill them. Best way to get rid of someone, isn't it? They won't come back again if you put them to death. And see, this is the great struggle between Christianity and the world which Jesus is speaking of here so starkly in John chapter 15. The world has its culture. It has its way of living from what it does and what it teaches. It has its way of speaking, it has its way of dressing, it has its way of work, it has its way for rest, it has its way for entertainment, it has its way for art, it has its own way of dealing with relationships with one another. It has its own culture and it not only does these things but it teaches them and instructs the next generation and anyone that will listen to live according to its culture. But Christianity has its culture as well. It has its own culture, which we learn from our King, the Lord Jesus. We do things differently. We have a different vocabulary. Sometimes I, I of course, swim in similar circles. By nature of my job, I have a lot to do with Christians. Sometimes I do, however, engage with those outside the world. I try to do it as much as I can. But it's interesting, the vocabulary switch from a Bible study to being with a group of people who do not show any interest in the Bible. There is a different vocabulary that they use. And, of course, we have our own way of doing work, the way that we treat others. I was just speaking to someone this week, previously a car salesman. He said, they're all sharks. And I said, oh, surely there's some good ones. Oh, all sharks. They have their own way of doing work. And, they have, and we have our way of doing work. We have our own way of rest, our own forms of art, and, of course, when it comes to relationships, we have our own culture about marriage and about children and the relationships that we have and the celebrations that we engage in. And not only do we live a different way from the world as Christians, we teach others to live that way as well, including those outside of Christianity. We teach them to live our way. And worse yet, we make them feel guilty about the way that they're living. And we tell them that we are the original custodians of the world because we are related to the king who is given all power and all authority over this entire world. And they should feel guilty about living according to their ways when they contrast 
with the ways of the true king. And then, what do we often see? Some people convert as we tell them about our ways. They say that is good and true, and they come over. Now, what does the world do in response to that? What does the world do? Well, it's the same thing that they did to our king when he was here on earth. They force change. They try to force change on him. They teach their ways more forcefully, particularly to children. They, and we see this again and again in our schools at the moment, teaching the, the children to live in contrast to the teachings of Christ. They ban Christ's ways and teachings. They can cancel gatherings. They can ban books. They can ban social media accounts of someone who is teaching a way that is contrary to the world's way. And if people refuse to comply, if Christians refuse to comply with the world and the difference are great enough, what does the world do? Well, it's the same thing that the world did to Christ. Violent elimination. Imprisonment and even death. Even death. You say, really? Will people kill other Christians? Will the world kill Christians? Well, you just have to look at history. You just have to look at the news. And you see that it is indeed true that there is deathly persecution of Christians for refusing to comply with the culture of the world. So what do Christians do in response to this? What can we do when Jesus says this so starkly to us, that the world hates us and our culture and will even kill us, violently persecute us, because of our culture. But we cannot be surprised. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's wanting us not to be surprised when persecution comes. When the world hates us, we shouldn't be suddenly surprised that they don't love us. He wants us to know that this is the way it is. And he says that in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Keep in mind that it hated me first. It shouldn't surprise you. And in verse 1 of chapter 16. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. I've told you this so that you won't go astray. And then in verse 4, I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. He's warned the Christians so that they know what is coming to them. He's warned the disciples here and he's warned us. And the warning started long ago. They started right back at the garden, just after the garden, with Cain and Abel, which we had read for us before. And that's what John says in 1 John chapter 3. Of course, these are the words of Jesus in John chapter 15. But in 1 John chapter 3, it's the words of the apostle. Of course, the Lord is speaking through him. And he says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil. His actions were evil. Cain's actions were evil. And his brother, Abel, his actions were righteous. So do not be surprised, my brother, if the world hates you. You've had a warning since Cain and Abel that the world hates righteous living. And so we cannot be surprised as Christians when the world attacks us for the way that we live. But what else should we do? Well, we should keep living as Christ lived and keep speaking as Christ spoke. And we see that in chapter 16, verse 1. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. Jesus is warning us so that we will not go astray. Even as the world becomes increasingly hostile to our culture, we are not to go astray. Now, when does the world's culture become more hostile to us as Christians? Well, it's when our culture stands out more and more. 
Now, when does that happen? Well, it's when the culture of Satan's kingdom moves further away from the culture of the kingdom of God. We stand out more and more. And we see this even now in Australia. Previously in Australia, in something when it comes to the culture of sex and marriage and family, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God, they were similar. They weren't the same, of course, but there was a lot more similarity. But recently, even in the last decade, it's moving very swiftly. There's a totally different understanding of marriage, even in our laws in government. And then, of course, family and who we are as male and female. And so what has happened? They have moved further away and we stand out more starkly. And what does that then mean? The hatred increases as the difference increases and as the guilt increases, as they feel more and more guilty about the way that they are living in contrast to Christ's way. And as they see Christ's way being exemplified more and more clearly by Christians, the guilt increases. And the way to get rid of the guilt, what's the way to get rid of the guilt? You get rid of your God, you get rid of sin, you get rid of punishment. So if you get rid of God's citizens, you get rid of guilt, and you get rid of punishment. And so they increasingly hate Christians. And what are we supposed to do? We're to stand firm and not go astray. Verse 1, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. We keep on in Christ's ways and teaching Christ's ways as his apostles were taught to do as well, that they would continue to testify. Verse 26, when the counsellor comes, whom I will send you to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me and you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. Now there's a particular instruction given to the apostles there. But there's a more general application that comes to all of the Christians, which we see in the rest of the New Testament, that we are to continue to testify. We're not to shrink back, but we continue to testify about God's ways. But why do Christians stand firm? There must be something deeper than simply, I warned you. Why do Christians stand firm in the face of increasing hostility, even to the point of murder? Why would Christians be willing to be murdered for their culture? Well, there's many reasons, but the big reason is because we love the true king. We love the true king, Jesus Christ, and could not bear to be disobedient to him. Why do we love the true king, Jesus? We love because he first loved us. We know the love of Christ, and so we can't help but love his ways and continue to live in his ways and not go astray. But how has Jesus loved us? How do we know he loves us? Well, in verse 9 and 10, we hear about the love of God. Verse 9, chapter 15, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Here we see the love of God for the Son and the Son's love for his people. But how much has Jesus loved us? He tells us he loves us. How do we know he loves us? Well, there's a reference in the text here to how much he loves us. It's by the way that he laid down his life for us. In verse 13, verse 13, greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus 
is speaking, of course, generally. If you want to really show love for your wife or for your husband or for someone else, it's by laying down your life for that person. Jesus exemplifies it. He laid down his life for his friends at the cross. He died in our place so that we could live forever with him. That is the love of God, that he has chosen us out of the world. We see that in verse 19. If you belong to the world, as it, would, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. The love of God is so great that he pulled us out of the kingdom of Satan, which is where we once were, and did it by paying the penalty that we deserve for our sins. And so, of course, we love Jesus Christ, and we will never go astray, no matter how much the culture of the world hates us, no matter how much the world hates us. We love the King for his love and his mercy and his grace and his goodness in dying for our sins. We love the King for his holiness and his justice and truth in dying for our sins. We know that justice must be met for our sins. And Jesus, in his justice, gave his sinless life in our place. We love the Lord Jesus for his knowledge and wisdom in dying for our sins. He knew it was the only way, and he wisely provided his life for our sins. We love the king for his power and his strength and his might in dying for our sins. And, of course, we love the king for continuing to call people out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the world, to belong to himself, to call people by his mercy and his justice, and his wisdom, and his power. The world's haters and hatred and their persecutions, they come and go. Troubles come and go as well. Troubles in this world come and go. Do you realise that people will eventually stop talking about COVID? They will. It'll eventually happen. There are all kinds of plagues through history with all kinds of names. People aren't talking much about them today except from a historical interest. There are great persecutors of the church who've come and gone and are dredged up in history books from time to time. They come and go and people stop talking about them, people stop fearing them. But people don't stop talking about Jesus Christ. They continue to talk about Jesus even after persecutions come and go, plagues come and go, disasters come and go, but Jesus Christ has continued to be spoken of. Why? Because our king keeps on doing what is described in verse 19. What is described in verse 19? If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Our king, we love him because he keeps on choosing people out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing them into his kingdom of light. And so, of course, people keep on talking about him. Even 2,000 years later, all over the world, people are talking about Jesus, not about the Roman emperor who sat on the throne at that time. They're talking about Jesus. And they will keep on talking about Jesus for eternity. Because those people that Jesus chooses out of the world live forever in heaven and stand around the throne of the Lamb praising his name because they love him. So, of course, we stand firm even though we're told the world hates us. We stand firm because... Even if we lose all our possessions, even if we 
are hated and lose our life as well, even physical life. We lose all our power. We lose the life that is in us. We have a lasting possession in Jesus Christ himself, and we love him. Will we be ashamed of our king as the world hates us? No. We will boast of him regardless of the cost. Why? Because we have a love that overcomes hatred. The world hates. Christians love. We have a love that overcomes all the hatred that the world can show and throw at us. And so I promote the king to you even now. To any, who, who, any here this morning who are a part of the kingdom of Satan, count the cost of being a rebel, of being a rebel against the true custodian of all the world. Count the cost. Yes, you, if you remain a rebel, you may retain some gain and avoid some pain. There is a gain that comes of being a rebel and an avoidance of some pain. What is the gain you retain? Well, you keep the world's love. That's what's described in verse 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. The world will continue to love you if you remain a rebel, yes. And you'll retain the pleasures of sin. What pain will you miss? Well, you'll miss the pain of persecution from the world, hatred of the world. You'll get to miss all that. They will love you as their own, and they won't persecute you. But you will retain eternal pain and miss eternal gain. What eternal pain will you retain as a rebel of the true king? The pain of punishment of rebels in hell for all eternity. And what eternal gain will you miss? The great joy of eternal life of knowing Christ Jesus, the true king. The joy that we know of his love and the joy of the love of his citizens as well. The world loves its own. The Christians, the kingdom of God, they love their own as well. And you lose that joy if you remain a rebel. You hate us. You may not articulate it that way, but you hate us and our ways because we make you feel guilty for your sin. But we love you. We have a love for you. Why do we love you? Because we were once you. We were once a part of the kingdom of darkness. But then verse 19 happened. He chose us out of the world. And so we now have eternal life in him and we experienced a far greater joy than we ever had when we lived as a part of the world. And so the most loving thing we can do to you is tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you his gospel, that you're a sinner, but Christ saves sinners who repent of their sins and trust in him. So if you remain a rebel, what do you have? Short-term gain, long-term pain. Short-term gain that you keep the love of the world and you avoid their persecution, but long-term pain. But if you become a Christian, what do you have? Short-term pain. The world will hate you. I'm not going to deny it. Jesus says it. You may even lose your life in certain parts of the world, maybe even in this part of the world. You gain short-term pain. 
but you gain long you have long-term gain eternal gain as you inherit the king of kings and lord of lords and get to be a part of his kingdom forever with all the joys and pleasures that come from him so i beg you this morning admit your rebellion admit your rebellion against the original custodian of the land jesus christ the son of man who has been placed a little lower than the angels but everything's been placed under his feet Come to him, be a part of his family, and inherit all things through him. Ask for forgiveness, beg for mercy, stop hating him, but ask for mercy instead and experience his joy and the joy that comes of knowing his love. Let's come to him, let's speak to him now. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the true king who reigns over all. Thank you for saving many of us from the kingdom of darkness by your great love. Oh Lord, we ask though that you would forgive us for going astray as we experience the hatred of our old kingdom. Oh Lord, it's so easy as the citizens of the world hate us and say things to us to back down from living your ways and for teaching your ways. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us by the Holy Spirit to love you more and more so that we stand firm despite the hatred. Our love for you overcomes all the hatred that anyone can throw at us. And Lord, we ask that if there is anyone here this morning who is still a rebel of yourself, who is still a part of the kingdom of darkness, oh Lord, convict them of their hatred by the Holy Spirit now and bring them into your eternal love. And we pray this in your name. Amen.